Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hello there and welcome into the Bird Game Blitz. Got about an hour or so worth of great content coming here for you. We've got two games to break down and two games left. Uh, let's go ahead and I'll uh, turn it over to my co-host, John, uh, at Johnny's Football on Twitter, uh, who's joining me for this week as always. How are you doing today, John? I'm good, Blake. It's good to be back. We took a week off, didn't miss a ton of news, and um, not a lot going on in terms of an offensive outbreak for the Arizona Cardinals, but it'll be interesting with these final two games of the season, if they're able to win one or both or neither, based on the way they've been playing right now, I would, I would go with uh, the latter. Yeah. And that's been interesting because we've got a Titans game. That was a win. You've got a uh, Redskins game. That was a loss. And you have Blaine Gabbert playing almost exactly the same in both of those games. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that because Drew Stanton is going to be starting again this week. And it's a move that some fans were surprised about, mostly due to the fact that they expected Blaine would be getting even more time or perhaps that Stanton was done. A lot of fans I know have thought that Gabbert's been better than Drew Stanton. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about that one because he's been benched. Uh, what do you think is kind of the, maybe some of the reasoning? And do you think that this has any indication about his 2018 plans? Or is this say a lot more about Drew Stanton and the fact that he was able to perform more consistently and uh, more importantly, maybe score some touchdowns? Yeah, I thought Blaine played about as well as could be expected for, you know, somebody of his, you know, previous reputation, I guess I could say. Uh, I believe, you know, wholeheartedly that this Stanton uh, move going back to Drew Stanton for these final two games is essentially a going away present via Bruce Arians, um, because I believe this is Bruce's last season. I think this is Drew Stanton's last uh, tenure with the Cardinals. It's going to be a free agent, um, allowing to play these final two games and believes that Drew's going to give him a win, but you know, I've seen enough of Blaine and Drew over the course of this year, and um, I know Drew had more touchdown passes, but Blaine has been a little bit better from an accuracy perspective. Um, I just think this is Bruce Arians giving Drew Stanton uh, somebody he's been with for probably, I think, five or six years. If you date back to that first year in Indianapolis, somebody who he's obviously very fond of, and he's going to give him an opportunity to, to try the end, end the season on a high note. Uh, as far as what I expect you know, moving forward with Blaine, um, listen, these last two games, it goes without saying, he has been incredibly average. Um, but I do think that he's shown enough where he could come in and be a competent backup. From your backup, really, unless you have you know an elevated Super Bowl roster like the Minnesota Vikings have right now in the ascension of Case Keenum, they also have you know a tremendous you know play caller on their squad, which the Cardinals right now do not. Um, I think that you can expect your backup to come in play one or two games, and if he can split one of those two games while your starter is out for whatever reason, that's a, that's a good backup. That's a quality backup. And we saw that from Blaine. Blaine played well in the Jaguars game. He played well in the Titans game. Um, but, you know, against the Rams and the Redskins, he didn't play well. So it just it leads me to believe that this team moving forward, hopefully with a rookie quarterback, 
of it is going to be up to whether or not you know, I tend to think he's not going to be around. So is that next head coach, you know, willing to roll the dice on his veteran backup position uh, with Blaine Gabbert, who he's really not familiar with? Steve Keim has a familiarity, and we, we expect Steve to be back. But I just I found it a little bit odd that they're entertaining contract extensions at certain team. So um, a lot of things are up in the air. I do think if Blaine had played, you know, above his capabilities and, and was able to win the Redskin game, if able to win the Giants game this weekend, play, you know, competitively against Seattle, I think that that would bode well for him moving forward potentially as the starter in 2018 uh, while they broke in a rookie. Now I think that if if you try to sell your fan base who right now is 6-8 looking at potentially 6-10 and 10 with the ascension of Jimmy Garoppolo, the ascension of Jared Goff, Russell Wilson's an MVP candidate. If you trot out Jimmy, um, excuse me, Blaine Gabbert as your starter in 2018, uh, I don't think that that's going to bestow a lot of confidence from the Valley. Just my opinion. I think he'd be fine as a backup, depending on who the head coach is, but nothing more. Definitely agree there. And I think it's also interesting to note, um, just when you're taking a look at how their seasons have gone, Gabbert and Stanton have been almost interchangeable, uh, just as far as for with Blaine, he's completed about 55% of the passes. He's not been really great. He's had about six touchdowns to six interceptions. And really, I think it's those turnovers and the lack of touchdowns that have really been hurting him. Look at Stanton, he had kind of a three to two. And a lot of what Stanton did was allowing the run game to take over. And then when those big throws were needed or when he needed to extend the play, he had those touchdowns against the Niners game on the road where he's able to run and avoid the pressure. Um, he also had a little bit better timing. I think part of the reason why we're seeing this move, obviously, from Bruce Arians, as you're saying, even if it isn't a farewell present in Arians, he is ultimately driven to win in the NFL. And he doesn't want to start. A lot of fans look at as far as tanking. And sometimes maybe you can be fortuitous. I imagine how the Indianapolis Colts would feel like if they had ended up with Robert Griffin III instead of Andrew Luck that season, if they'd gotten that one more win. Uh, even still now, it's a little bit on the edge. But ultimately what happens is when you've got a winning franchise that expects to win, isn't going to be uh, trying to say to the players, Hey, we're going to go out there and actively put a worse player out there with the intention of losing. Just from my experience working with football teams, once you have that kind of broken down, players are not able to buy in. It just ends up turning where it messes up your franchise and organization for a long time to come. And that's part of the reason why teams like the Browns and it's taken so long for a team like the Jaguars to turn around from all that competitive losing. So I think that's kind of the positive you can see from Arians is he's not going to sit in his laurels and let Blaine Gabbert play it out. Um, And I do think that it is an interesting indication that this is the best quarterback possible. If Carson Palmer was going to be healthy for the uh, Seahawks game next week, I do think we would see Carson Palmer. Perhaps we'll have a surprise and we still will. Um, But I do think that he's going to try to win. And if he was going to be tied together much more closely with Blaine Gabber entering next year as a starter, I do think that it is more likely to see that. So we'll see what it goes on because Arians is a coach who we've talked about this over and over. A lot of fans have had issues or complaints, but ultimately when you look at the impact that he's had on this team, he's a good coach. And even though there are coordinators out there, like you might be looking at maybe trying to find the next Sean McVay, uh, McVay, but for every Sean McVay, you'll sometimes end up with a Greg Schiano. And so that's part of where Arians, at least he's a known product and a known quantity where you know that you're going to get good coaching, you'll get good quarterback development. So uh, maybe it is going to be his last year as a head coach and he'll retire. Maybe there will be a little bit difference next year. I think a lot of it will also come down to um, just Arians' health. It may be the case where he'll want to play next year, but won't be able to. Uh, which is the opposite, at least, of a Larry Fitzgerald, which I think we'll get into just because he's uh, – it's worth noting just how Fitz has just – even throughout all of this quarterback upheaval, he stayed so dominant this year. He's probably going to end up leading the league in receptions for a second year in a row against guys who are less than uh, 10 years younger than him. Uh, Fitzgerald has just been super consistent. He's been kind of carrying the team on offense. The rest of the offense in the case has not stepped up. John, what what do you think as far as for these wide receivers group? Is there any players on offense you'd look at as far as going into 2018 that you think are kind of playing for their jobs right now in these last two games? Well, I think the, the ship has sailed for John Brown, unfortunately, a, a third-round pick of the Cardinals who was, you know, a, a Valley darling, so to speak, the way he came in and energized this offense from you know vertical standpoint that first year uh, broke out onto the scene in, in 2014 and just had a phenomenal rapport with Carson Palmer, had a thousand yards receiving in 2015. Everything was looking up, especially when the fact that you, know, you let Michael Floyd go, assuming John Brown was going to take that next step to being at the very worst, a number two receiver. 
but unfortunately, whether it's health reasons, can't stay healthy, the sickle cell issue, um, inconsistent play, you know, John Brown is looking at probably a one-year contract elsewhere, maybe a prove-it deal, still has a ton of ability, but just can't stay healthy. And it, it, it's really unfortunate because that's a, that's a pick I think a lot of people thought coming into um, next year, assuming Larry Fitzgerald's not under contract, that he was going to be able to take the reins and you'd be able to pair him with the Chad Williams or um, potentially another rookie or free agent wide receiver. J.J. Nelson's under contract in 2018, uh, and I expect him to be on the roster. And he's played relatively well this year, um, certainly not up to his standards based on the second half of 2016, where he had a couple breakout games, including a 150-yard effort in Seattle. But at the same time, he's somebody that – at best is a three or has been on, you know, things like jet sweeps out of the backfield. We haven't seen him really have a chance to go up and get the football, have a chance to, you know, make plays in the passing game. And, you know, he has some ability, uh, has some great yards after the catch ability that we saw in the preseason. So I would have liked to have seen him get more involved, but again, you're at the mercy of mediocre to below average quarterback play. And it's, and it's difficult. If Carson Palmer was still with this team and um, slinging the ball, like we know he can, I think we would probably have seen more Chad Williams at this point. Um, but unfortunately, you know, poor quarterback plays tends to stunt the growth of why those are the, the things, you know, potentially moving into, you know, roles next year with the Cardinals or in John Brown's case, probably going to be gone. Fitz is at this point, 50, 50. Uh, I, I'd like for him to come back. I think that, you know, he would never say this publicly. I think he'd like to surpass. Uh, I think he, I think he just passed Randy Moss on all uh, the all-time receiving list. He's got mm-hmm. Terrell Owens now in his sights would only take seemingly a, another year. And I think he wants to cement himself as the second best receiver of all time uh, behind Jerry Rice would only take one more competitive season to do it. But does he really want to go through another head coaching change, a quarterback change, you know, I'm not sure, but the Cardinals probably would take him as long as they could have him. You can make an argument going into next season, as crazy as it sounds, the most reliable pass-catching option you have outside of Fitz is David Johnson. Yeah, and that's something that's kind of a, a crazy stat is that the second leader in receptions in this team this year is Andre Ellington, who is no longer a member of the Arizona Cardinals. That, that, that's just one of those crazy areas where you look at just not only how beat up and injured this team is, but just how poorly the wide receivers have performed where you're having to look at Fitz going off for like about 100 yards or so a game. And then the next leader would maybe be Troy Nicholas with 30 yards on two catches. It's, it's really reaching a point where – the talent on this team, at least either from injury standpoint or however case, it's just dropped off immensely. And that's something that's going to be part of the, uh, the rebuild Kime is going to have to look at. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the fallout, at least just from the, the last two games. Uh, Arizona, they, they have not tanked down the stretch. They have not um, – uh, they basically haven't gone and taken a, a nosedive like how we thought that they might with Blaine Gabbard at the helm. They've still been able to be a competitive team. A lot of that is due to the defense. Uh, they're currently ranked, I believe, as a top five defense in DVOA. They've locked down the hatches very, very well following the Texans game. Uh, I want to at least see if you can get a couple of thoughts. Out. How do you feel like the defense has been performing? What's been kind of the biggest catalyst and the reason why they've bounced back so well? I think it's been a couple different factors. I'll start with the secondary. Once a huge liability in coverage. Ramon Williams is the number two corner. The pass defense has gotten exceptionally better. And then I think, obviously, the insertion of Buda Baker as that hybrid safety role, along with Tyron Matthew, uh, improving his play to what we think he can be and what he's been. Um, those three factors in the secondary have paid huge dividends. You've obviously got Patrick Peterson playing exceptionally well. Antoine Bethea's been solid as we expected. So you look at those factors in the secondary, that's been a huge part to help with a lot of coverage sacks. Uh, From a linebacking core standpoint, Dale Buchanan, he's been on the field. He's played well. I think he's somebody that they obviously want to extend. He's got one more year on his deal. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a move you see get done this offseason. Chandler Jones should be in the running for defensive player of the year. And I hope with the improved defensive effort that we're seeing from the Cardinals down the stretch, he gets that consideration. And then within the defensive line, Olson Pierre, Xavier Williams, Frosty Rucker, uh, some of these guys like Corey Peters have all stepped up. Corey Peters just got a two-year contract extension. So a lot of guys that you were expecting to step up are um, outside of Robert Candici, you know, the defense is humming on all cylinders. I'm presently surprised with with uh, somebody like Olson Pierre who they stashed 
um, on the roster last year, knew that they, if they had kept him on the practice squad, he would have been claimed. Um, so he's been a very nice addition. I think that, you know, if, if Robert Kandichi could ever figure it out, you've got Olsen Pierre and Corey Peters and some depth, maybe add another piece to that defensive line in the offseason. This should be with the return of Marcus Golden and uh, hopefully the accession, ascension of Hassan Reddick at that inside linebacker spot opposite Dayom. This should be consistently a top 10 defense. Um, I think James Betcher has done a better job bringing pressure because he's realized that outside of Chandler Jones uh, with no Marcus Golden, he doesn't really have that second pass. Um, pass rushing option I think that's made a difference he's gotten uh, away away from playing a lot of zone which beat them early and often in the season the Dallas game comes to mind so um, those are all things I think that that have played a big factor I think the improved special teams from a punting standpoint uh, have played a factor as well not giving teams short fields and um, allowing them to go you know 40 50 yards to to pay dirt and I think that's been a problem in years prior so uh, it'll be interesting to see moving forward whether or not they can keep this trend going, uh, especially when they go to Seattle at the end of the season. Yeah, I think that's going to be fascinating because Seattle right now, they just got completely dominated by the St. Louis Rams. Uh, just a incredible performance, at least up in Seattle, that a lot of people said they didn't expect. And I really felt like it was a breaking point. And that's kind of left the Cardinals in a uh, interesting position, as you're saying, in the division where you've got two teams with young quarterbacks on the rise and two teams who really have struggled to protect their franchise quarterbacks. And one who at least still has one and kind of the prime of their career where they're not wanting to waste these opportunities. And the other that's going to have to be kind of searching and back themselves into a corner to find this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about just some of the fallout with the Cardinals draft position. Uh, currently, as of just seeing the latest update, people have them ranked with either the 11th and some with the 12th uh, overall pick. Uh, if the Cardinals end up losing out, uh, probably the highest it looks like they'd be able to go at least would be um, just based on if, say, they lose out. And if the Bengals, the Broncos, and the Jets all manage to win, you'd be looking at probably about the eighth pick as the highest. Uh, more likely, the Cardinals, at least if they go seven and nine, it'll depend on a lot of other things. You've got the Raiders, the Redskins, the Dolphins, all in that kind of same area, and then the Chargers, Packers, uh, and Ravens, all have a seven and seven record. So there's a lot of moving pieces. The latest they could pick if they end up winning against the Giants, let's say that they go into Seattle and are able to kind of pull away with another win. The team ends up um, being motivated. I, I don't think that happens since I think the, you know, the Seahawks will have something to play for in week 17. Uh, you'd be looking at kind of around the lowest they could pick would be probably about pick 16 or so. So there's probably about an eight pick window if the Cardinals could end up falling anywhere in. It'll be really interesting to see. Um, I, I'm going to be very curious to find out because when you look at quarterbacks and where they've been taken the last few years, outside of Deshaun Watson going at 12, there's really not a good precedent for a lot of these quarterbacks who are going in these um, kind of mid-tier ranges. Last year, had Patrick Mahomes, the team traded up for him in the top 10, and you had Deshaun Watson, uh, the Texans trading up and took him top 12. It'll be interesting with this year's quarterback class. We'll touch a little bit on that before we, before we're done today, but for the most part, you see those quarterbacks tend to end up going in the top five, or at least at the latest, probably about the top seven. John, what's kind of your take about where, let's say the Cardinals, at least right now, let's go with maybe the best, kind of maybe the, maybe not the best case scenario, but let's go with where they kind of actually are picking right now on the top 12. And what happens kind of if they do end up managing to win out these two games? What's kind of some of the, the fallout you'd see from that as far as for what would be their ability to maybe go out and acquire uh, their next franchise quarterback? It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Well, I think they would have to be aggressive regardless. I don't think there's a huge difference, Blake, between where I think they could be picking if they lose these next two games, which would be the top 10, and say, let's, let's say they get to, um, uh, they finish the season with two more wins and um, get to 500. I don't think that there's a huge difference between pick 15 and pick, you know, eight, as crazy that, as that sounds. I think either way, you're going to have to make a move to go up and get a franchise quarterback. If you want a franchise quarterback in the first round, I think there are so many teams that are going to be creeping within that top 10 um, 
like the New York Jets, like the Denver Broncos, obviously the top two, like the Cleveland Browns and the, and the, um, <clears throat> the New York Giants who we'll see this weekend, you're going to have to jump some teams and you're going to have to be aggressive for once. I think that if you ignore franchise quarterback in the first round um, in terms of the initial pick for the Cardinals, I think you have to go offensive line. I think there'll be some very nice quality players in the teens. I'm looking at the left tackle for Notre Dame, Billy Price, Ohio State Center. Those are two names that jump off the board to me as somebody plug-and-play starters for next year. Then the Cardinals, with their bevy of picks, could come back into the first round with, you know, packaging their second, maybe two or three of their other, you know, day two picks and getting a, a guy, you know, like a Mason Rudolph at the end of the first round, if they so desire, which would allow them to have that fifth year option. Um, so you could essentially walk away, hopefully fingers crossed with your franchise quarterback at the end of the first round, as well as an impact uh, offensive lineman to grow together. I think it would be great to have a Billy Price and say, let's say Lamar Jackson does fall, I don't believe he does, into the 20s, jumping back in and getting him. I don't think that price would be as crazy as some people say it will. Uh, I will say, Blake, if they were to lose these next two games and you're picking around seven or eight, and you hear chatter from the folks in Cleveland, and I thought this was interesting, that their new general manager has already started to leak out the fact that they like Baker Mayfield. And Colin Coward had an interesting theory as to why they did that. He's hearing that neither one of uh, Rosen or Darnold would go to Cleveland. Now, it's incredibly early to speculate at this point, but what if Cleveland put that pick up for grabs because they had pick five and they knew they could acquire probably Baker Mayfield at pick five? How tempted would you be to make a monster package to go up from seven or eight to number one to get other and forward in 2019, 2020, if you could get Sam Darnold, I think the Cardinals would entertain the idea of trading multiple first round picks to do it. Um, and I think that only happens if you're in the top 10, because you'd be able to jump again, the Jets, the Broncos, the Giants, um, some of these teams that are going to be in the market for a franchise quarterback. A lot will shake out in free agency, but we saw it last year. The Chicago Bears signed Mike Lennon and then, Everybody assumed they they had found their their guy at least for now. And what they do, they traded up to get Mitch Trubisky at number two. So I would hope the Cardinals have a similar approach where they sign a veteran quarterback in free agency and then out of nowhere swoop up and get a franchise quarterback. Those are just a couple scenarios I've been kicking around in my head, but it will be interesting. I think that the I think the philosophy is essentially the same though. Whether it's pick eight, pick sixteen, pick thirteen, you got to get a first round quarterback. Um, and I think there's going to be probably four or five, so there should be plenty of opportunities. Now, that's not to say the Cardinals will like all of those guys. We've seen it before. Mike Jarecki reported that the Cardinals weren't going to take Deshaun Watson, even if he had fallen to the 13th overall pick, but new head coach at that point, Steve Keim, motivated, aggressive. Uh, I think that there's a better than great chance that the Cardinals will get a first-round QB. Yeah, and I think it's interesting when you're listing off those um... – those type of options. You could also look at it the opposite way and say maybe the reason why the Browns are teasing and saying they've got interest in the one quarterback is they know they're going to be taking a quarterback at one and they want teams to trade up to the number four, number five slot they have from Houston. There's so much that goes on as far as for with the draft, as far as for not just like the subterfuge, but as you say, we do have a whole lot of dominoes that have to kind of fall in order to get there. I think the first domino that's going to fall, that's going to have a huge impact on the Cardinals is, uh, is this Larry Fitzgerald's last home game we're going to see on Sunday on Christmas? Christmas Eve against the Giants and I think you can take a look at the fact that he's got 11 million reasons not to as well as the uh, two reasons that would be the number two wide receiver of all time and it'd be pretty unquestioned he's still playing at a tremendously high level he's still been healthy um, but it is understandable that he does have a life after football and this is a very difficult tough game and you don't want to see Fitzgerald go out um, the way that you saw Steve Smith go out or potentially go out, he went and returned for another season, but was not the same guy. It was just an area where if Fitzgerald calls it a career, I think Cardinals fans aren't going to look at it negatively. It's going to be a huge celebration of just perhaps maybe the, uh, the overall greatest, uh, even argument for the greatest Arizona athlete of all time will certainly be up there. Uh, but if he decides to return, I think his decision, he's been through um, players before. He's been through the Lindley's. He's been through uh, the Brian Hoyers. 
I think that it'll be an area where he's gone through that enough that it's not going to be a concern about who's the quarterback next year. If Palmer decides to return, I think maybe that could help. But at this point, I think Fitzgerald's decision is the one that is fully isolated outside of whatever Arians and Palmer decide to do. I didn't think that the next dominoes you say that's going to fall is going to be Bruce Arians. If Bruce Arians does decide to return for one more year, I think that you will still see this major staff restructuring. We already have talked about how Steve Kime has um, said that he's going to be making major moves and that uh, transforming the organization would be an understatement. Uh, that's a huge statement that tells me that it's not just going to be a huge player overhaul, maybe you know, saying goodbye to the vested veterans who've been here for a while, but I think that'll be an overhaul in the coaching staff too. And I don't think it bodes very well as far as for Bruce Arians returning, um, even if he should want to, just because of as we've talked about, there's just not a lot of stability. I mean, I think you'd want him to be able to take that quarterback. You had ideally wanted him to take those steps, but it might be that it's one year too late. If the team had decided to make a move up for Mahomes or if they had decided to have Watson on their board, um, there's some reports that Arians may have liked Kaiser, at least some, but obviously did not like him enough to move up and get him. Perhaps it's one of those areas where the Cardinals just end up moving on altogether. And Larry Fitzgerald, he'll come back at least for another season, knowing he'll get his numbers and being kind of the vested veteran with a whole kind of complete new team, being kind of like how Adrian Wilson was looked at as being that guy. Um, he still ended up leaving at least in 2013. He just kind of lost it, but that's kind of what a lot of Cardinals fans are seeing that veteran presence carry on. Darnell Dockett was that guy for Bruce Arians, uh, bringing that new defense around. Uh, the, I think that the next domino that's going to fall after all of that will be Carson Palmer, because I don't know if it's going to be his decision. I don't know if it's going to be Bruce Arians' decision. It's going to be a Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell decision about whether or not they decide to take a 38-year-old quarterback at that time next year and roll with him and having to likely adapt the offense around protecting him, potentially with a new head coach, or if they're going to be looking at moving on to a different player, whether that's going to be seeing if maybe Gabbert's the starter. Perhaps they decide to have Drew Stanton be in kind of a semi-coaching role if they draft two quarterbacks. I think that's going to be the next domino that will fall. Uh, we can make predictions up until then, but I think the first thing we'll need to at least see is obviously these last two games and where we go with them. Um, I, I, but I, I think we're both in an agreement that the Cardinals have to have this sense of aggression. And I, I don't know if you can even, even if you decide to justify the Cardinals moving up for a quarterback at the end of the first round, I do think that being either aggressive and trading down, if you know that you're going to be taking that player, if you want to move down a couple of picks and take them, to me, I, I struggle with that approach a lot. Even if it's trading up for a guy at the late first round, a lot of times you look at the players who have been like that. You look at with a Brandon Whedon, you look at a Johnny Menzel, you look at even with Teddy Bridgewater. A lot of those players, when you have those different trade-ups, a lot of times it's if you didn't like that guy enough to take him with your first pick, I don't really see exactly why you're looking to move up for them now outside of just the fact that it's a need. I think that when you're looking at the quarterback position, you'll have a need, yes, but you also want to have that desire and you want to have this be a guy you are worth betting your future on. And that's really what the Eagles did. The Eagles last year, if you take a look at what they did, they gave the, gave up the number eight pick to the Browns, as well as third round pick, a fourth round pick, as well as their first pick in the next draft of 2017 and a second rounder in 2018. Now, if the Arizona Cardinals are able to end up with a top 10 pick at the end of the year, and that's the haul that Steve Kyle would be looking through, that is actually doable. And that's because they have an extra third round pick from what's likely going to be Calais Campbell as a compensatory pick. They'll likely have an extra fourth round pick from the fact that they have uh, Tony Jefferson signed. And also, even though they gave up their fourth round pick from the, to go up and get Buda Baker, you're still going to be able to have enough draft capital, I think, to be able to pull off that trade. The big question is going to be if Steam Kime is going to be willing to give up his first-round pick in 2017, because I think, excuse me, in the 2019 year, because I think if he is, that's going to open all sorts of doors for the Cardinals, where you won't have to worry as much about if you're going to get this quarterback or that quarterback. At that point, it'll just be a matter of price. I think, as far as for other teams, some teams may want to keep Sam Darnold. I, I think that he's going to stay. Um, uh, it'll really depend ultimately on you know if. The uh, if Josh Rosen, I, if he decides to come out, I think he will because at this point he's almost guaranteed a top five pick that's money in the bank. But if Darnold decides that he's going to come out because the New York Giants have that second pick, I think that could end up being the big selling point where Arizona, then you're taking a look at your Mayfield, your Jackson. Maybe there's a little bit of a fall that goes down there, but ultimately it's going to be a, a couple of other dominoes that will fall in the offseason. You've got teams like the Broncos, Kirk Cousins. There's a whole lot to figure out before then, but I think the good news about this is that with Steve Kind, you have the capital. 
you have the ability, you're probably going to have a, um, whether or not it's going to be Bruce Arians having to make adjustments to his staff or finding guys who will be able to develop a quarterback. This is kind of the best opportunity you're going to have uh, if you're Steve Kime, I think. Now, I think the one question that I'll pose to you before we get into some of these quarterbacks is um, we're going to have to take a look at the, the fact of what happens. Let's take the worst case scenario. What happens if the Arizona Cardinals, they do not get a first round quarterback. Let's say you go into the second round. Let's say that they don't end up with a quarterback. Let's say you end up with a third-round pick of some sort where you know it's not really going to be a starter. You're kind of in the position the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in. What do you see as kind of for being with the future of the team? What is 2018 going to look like? Like, Where exactly is the team going to be if the, none of these things that we're talking about need to happen actually end up happening? What, where are we kind of at with time, uh, even if Arians is there or not for next year? Man, as crazy as it sounds, I, I don't think – Steve Kime can go into uh, late day two of the draft without a, a quarterback. I think that he is in quarterback purgatory as it, as it stands right now. He's only got himself to blame. There have been plenty of prospects that have come and gone uh, during his tenure as GM, and he has decided for whatever reason to pass on a lot of them. Uh, we've talked about Dak Prescott. We've talked about their inability to trade up for, thankfully, a Paxton Lynch. Uh, we talked in nauseam about last year and the fact that they said it was one of the better quarterback classes they had seen, and they weren't even the least bit concerned with leaving that draft without a franchise quarterback at all. They didn't take a quarterback at all, and just to see how stoic the media was asking them these questions at the presser, and Stephen and Bruce were completely relaxed and, and confident in their decision. Now uh, the worst scenario has happened, uh, Palmer goes down, the season is lost, you have an opportunity to develop a franchise quarterback with some you know, legitimate competition at the end of the year, and you don't have anybody to input within that, within that spot. So you've wasted half a season, and you go into this offseason with you know, big you know, statements like Steve made. Uh, I think, again, they're going to sign a veteran quarterback who could start games for them but that is not the plan, in my opinion. The plan is to get one of the top one through five prospects, and you cannot leave the draft without doing that. If, for whatever reason, that didn't happen, I think we could see a scenario in which they would panic and they would try to swing a deal for a veteran quarterback who may or may not be under contract with another team that another team maybe you know, would entertain moving I think that you would look at where some of these quarterbacks end up getting drafted and if it could, you know, spell the end for, you know, let's say, you know, I want to use Phil Rivers as an example um, because he's playing so well, but let's say the Tex the Jaguars bring back Blake Bortles. I think that they, you know, signed him as a fifth year option. I don't, I'm not sure if he's a free agent or not at the end of the year. Um, let's say that they bring him back based on the, the fact that he is having a strong second half to his season. But then they draft a quarterback. They're able to get one, and the Cardinals aren't. Um, I think you could see a scenario in which Steve Kime, if Bruce Arians is around, would call up the Jaguars and say, we'll give you our third and maybe a pick next year for Blake Bortles. I think you'd see some kind of move like that to get uh, a relatively young quarterback who's had some marginal success in the NFL and be able to sell it to your fan base that, you know what, this guy, first-round pick, has had some success. Let's bring him into our system. We like them pre-draft. But, again, who does that sound like? Blaine Gabbert. So um, they would be in just – they'd go from quarterback purgatory to quarterback hell. Uh, and that's exactly what happened to the New York Jets this year. And, really, the Jets, who should have been taking, uh, ended up winning a couple meaningless games with Josh McCown, who played actually pretty well for them. And it's bumped them out of a, out of a chance, I think, to get Darnold or Rosen and so they're going to be in a situation like the Cardinals where they're going to have to be aggressive for one of these top quarterbacks if they want them. Uh, so, again, I, I just can't see Steve not being aggressive in getting one of these guys, whether it's, you know, at their pick, moving up, moving down, coming back into the first to get one of the second or third-tier quarterbacks. Um, to me, the biggest hurdle that he faces is kind of what Houston faced last year when everybody knows that going into this draft class, you have to get a quarterback. You have to get a quarterback or you are essentially a sitting duck GM because the rest of your roster is not strong enough. Not, I don't want to even say to win the division, just to compete with what LA is doing. I fully expect Seattle to rebound. You know, San Francisco is only going to get better. The difference was Houston with Bill O'Brien, they, they 
continually win the division because it's so inept and um, so mediocre. And they have a roster that features, you know, quality Pro Bowl players, uh, J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins. They have good players everywhere else. They're able to go 9-7, 10-6 with, you know, the Tom Savages, with the Oswires of the world. The Cardinals don't have that luxury. So now you have to face the reality of being aggressive and rolling the dice on a franchise quarterback. And if it doesn't work out, you're going to get fired. But again, if you don't make the move, you're going to get fired. So you might as well try to get the guy now uh, and put all your eggs in, in one basket. And it could either set you up for the next 10 years or you're going to be unemployed. Definitely. And I think that's where when you're talking about like a veteran quarterback, I don't think that an Alex Smith is going, even though like the, some Cardinals, I think especially might be a rumor that it might be Terry McDonough. Uh, he was a guy who stumped a lot for Blaine Gabbert when he was at Jacksonville. I don't think an Alex Smith is going to be the type the Cardinals will have to give because I think the pick is going to be much higher as far as what you'll have to give up. I think that he also is more likely going to go to a team that will have a lot of the draft capital. If the Browns are going to end up with a veteran quarterback, like say that the Browns decide to use one of their plethora of picks to acquire Alex Smith, then you can at least develop him slowly behind a quarterback who can at least win you in games and compete now. I think that makes the most amount of sense unless they decide to roll a Hail Mary and get Kirk Cousins and I don't see that as a possibility just because it was Cousins. It's been the same song and dance for a while. At some point, you'll have to basically give in and sign him to a long-term deal, even if you don't want to because, you, as you're talking about, this is your job on the line. This is with, at some point, you have to put your name on a quarterback. Kime has talked a lot. I think that the biggest thing that could kill him would be conservatism. If you are now, if you do give up the whole draft and you move up and take a guy like a Darnold and let's say that he doesn't turn out, then that's going to be at least, uh, you know, a failure because that's the end result. But if you're trying, then at least you can have that opportunity versus when you're not trying at all. This is what we talked about for years with uh, the Cardinals under Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, the Cardinals at least have had a bad offensive line for a while outside of perhaps 2015 and maybe even looking into some of the, um, maybe the late 2014 season, they've had a pretty bad offensive line. For Ken Wisenhunt, it was due to the fact that they had not drafted or invested a pick higher than the fourth round in his entire tenure there after taking Levi Brown top five overall and an incredible reach. With Steve Keim, you're looking at how they've tried. They've went and multiply signed two, uh, two veteran free agents to a high contract. You've drafted two first-round rookies, both of whom have had injury problems. The other two who are kind of struggling with injury problems you've at least put in the effort for all of that what we have not seen from Steve Kime is that effort put into a franchise level quarterback you've only seen the fourth round pick spent on Logan Thomas the reports were that he was at a third round grade from them and I think that that would be kind of your maybe worst case scenario would be if you see the Cardinals go out and uh, decide to pass on a quarterback early they said not be aggressive to take a third round quarterback this would be a very similar incentive of veteran this would be a very similar situation to the 2013 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a team who they went and signed Josh McCown after a solid season in uh, with the Chicago Bears, mostly due to a lot of uh, really good combination of fitting the offense of time, playing a lot of very easy teams, signed him, and they ended up with a number one pick next year and a complete renovation of not just the front office, but also the coaching staff. This, I think, is kind of like if you're looking at the, 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 this could be like your ghost of Christmas future right here for the Christmas season. We're recording this a few days before Christmas. This would be kind of like your future you'd be looking at if Steve Kime decides to not look at a quarterback in the first, maybe even if it's in the second round, they decide not to be aggressive. The thing that would be kind of your future would be you'd be looking at entering with a top five pick the next year. So at some point, you have to pay the quarterback tax whether that's going to be going out and paying for a free agent quarterback who more often than not, they're available for a reason. Kirk Cousins basically was a terrible performer against the Cardinals in a home game against a top defense. That was a game that they basically had two good drives in that game. And they got lucky because Blaine Gabbert turned the ball over on the Cardinals where they recovered it and brought it back to the six yard line. He's not a guy who I think you're able to look at and saying is a high level franchise quarterback. They've had one trip to the playoffs with Kirk Cousins at the helm. You need to go and find a guy who is going to be that high-level player. And I think the Eagles and the Rams have set the basis for what it should be. Steve Kime has even mentioned the Rams as showing how quick you can turn around. And honestly, this is something Cardinals fans, I think you shouldn't sell that statement. You should buy into that. The Rams had a high-quality defense. Once their coaches turned around and adapted to the quarterback, they were able to quickly rebuild their offensive line and they're able to find wide receiver targets. They're able to acquire Sammy Watkins for on the cheap. They were able to go out and bring in a Cooper Cup, who's been a reliable threat. They're able to sign some tight end targets. 
and they were able to adapt the team. The Cardinals, I think, if you make the right move and get the right quarterback, this is the team where you could have a quick turnaround for next year. You could see some improvement, maybe even as early as next year with how well their defense is played. And this is still an overall very young defense. You're still looking at guys in their prime. You've got Buda Baker coming on. Um, I think that's going to be something at least we'll want to look at. Let's talk a little bit about the defense and the future by talking about Robert Kandichi. And uh, we've had a lot of discussion I know, with Kandichi over the year. He's been a high profile. Uh, he was a number one uh, first round pick, a highly drafted player, number 27 overall, number one overall high school recruit, went to Ole Miss. And he's really struggled to be able to pan out and live up to these expectations. Uh, Bruce Arian said in the week this year, uh, earlier this week, that Kandichi, he a lot of times will show you like the technique and practice, he'll show dominance. We saw a lot of that in preseason. When it comes to game time, he just does not show uh, that same type of technique. He'll just try to out-athlete them. Kandichi even went and was interviewed last night on the Cardinals, their big Red Rage show, and he talked about how for him, he said, yes, that's true, and he actually accepted that, but he did have a disclaimer. This is kind of the one thing that's interesting is he said, well, part of it for me is also because I don't have a lot of snaps I want to make sure that I can make a lot of these snaps count when I get in. So for him, it just is really an interesting area of we've seen some maturity. We've seen some steps forward. We've seen kind of him learn some to be a pro, but I think we've got some room at least moving forward where he's going to have to recognize that he has to make these snaps count and stay engaged even when he's not getting a lot of the different snaps because the team can't have him going rogue when he's in the team can't have him. They need to know that he's going to play in the sense of the scheme with the technique, not just trying to get upfield and sack the quarterback, but being able to recognize the screen pass. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what's Kandichi, but where we think he is at. Do we think that it's kind of an area of, can we trust him? Can we buy what Kandichi is saying? Or is this kind of an area where we need to start showing some concern that this is almost two years into it. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. And this is a guy who just doesn't seem to have. Oh yeah, Blake. I, I would, I would say that I would consider him a bust to this point. I don't know how you can't consider him a bust. Uh, he's got nine combined tackles on the season. He had one tackle last year. That's it. He's had zero career sacks for the Cardinals. He's played in 15 games. Now he hasn't played a lot of snaps and I'll give him a little bit of pass for that. And it's not like he's played on a stacked defensive line this year, but last year he was on a team that led the league in sacks. He had injuries last year. He's behind Calais Campbell. He's behind Frosty Rucker. He's behind some veteran guys that weren't obviously going to give up playing time to a rookie, especially when he wasn't at a hundred percent. But this year it's no excuse this year with the average play, amongst the majority of the defensive line, especially early in the season, it's unfortunate that we were unable to see any kind of progress made. Um, I do think now we're in a position where the season has been lost for some time. I think it would have been smart for the Cardinals, maybe for Steve Kime to step in and say, you know what, we've got some free agents on the defensive line we know aren't going to be back, a la Frosty Rucker. Is it possible to play Robert a little bit more just so we know what we have moving into next season? Because right now what you have is a first-round pick taking 29th overall uh, in a defensive line class that was supposed to be historic, and um, he's 23 years old, and he's a bust. He's a bust at this point. I think the best-case scenario for the Cardinals moving forward in terms of what you could potentially get out of him is to just not expect anything to – 
try to revamp that defensive line with one, with one or two key acquisitions, whether that be in free agency or the draft. I know that Sheldon Richardson's going to be available. He's a free agent. Uh, Muhammad Wilkerson sounds like he's going to be cut from the Jets. So there's going to be options to bring in a quality impact five technique who has Pro Bowl experience. With that being said, bring Robert back. Obviously, he's under contract for two more seasons with a fifth-year option after that um, and let him essentially try to win uh, a rotational spot, not even a starting spot, and to flash again. Um, I would compare this hopefully a little bit to Calvin Pace. So if you remember Calvin Pace, he was an outside linebacker the Cardinals took over Terrell Suggs. Oh, yeah. uh, and I, I believe in the 2003 draft and was essentially in Robert Kendici's same, same position, was a non-factor, was a bust, uh, was coming into his final year of his contract, uh, was behind Chico Kiefer. Uh, uh, Chico ended up getting hurt in the preseason, so Calvin Pace was inserted into the starting lineup based on nothing else but uh, the fact that he was the next man up and he had a tremendous season, I believe, had double-digit sacks that year. Of course, then went on and uh, got a big free agent contract from the New York Jets and actually played well the remainder of his career. So it can work. Guys can click late. Uh, first-round guys are not always a bust if they don't perform well their first two seasons. Um, so that scenario is one I keep going back to. But with Robert – you not only get the inept play on the field, but you get the concerns off the field, which was always the case coming out. Was the, Is he going to be mature enough to be able to put it all together because the NFL is a man's game? And I know he dominated the SEC. He dominated you know, a historic Alabama offensive line, gave Alabama their only loss a couple of years ago when they won the national championship. If you saw that game, if you saw how he dominated the line of scrimmage when they beat at Old Miss, beat Alabama – You'd think there's no way this guy's going to bust in the NFL. But the fact that he is still roaming, freelancing on the field, trying to do his own thing, not buying into the team aspect of a defense, uh, when you've got leaders on that defensive front like Frosty Rucker, you know, Patrick Peterson in the back end, vocal guys like you know, Chandler Jones, that's frustrating. It'd be one thing if the Cardinals were in the Brown situation. There was, there's no leaders on this team. You're winless. You got nothing to play for. But the Cardinals have expectations every year. Now they're not fulfilling them, much like Kim Dietschy. But, I, you know, Brenton Buckner's a, a quality defensive line coach who's gotten interviews for defensive coordinator positions. So the talent is there. Uh, I'm optimistic that eventually he's going to put it together. But he's a bust right now. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, there's kind of there's things you can say. I, I think I can say something here in a defense of Robert Kondici and also in questioning Robert Kondici because you never want to look at players um, from one lens or the other. You want to see who they are. And this is a guy who, uh, when you look at the interviews and stuff last night, in eighth grade, that was when he first picked up football, didn't know anything about it. And in his junior year, he was the number one recruit in the nation. He has been absurdly talented and He's always been able to have that kind of natural ability. And even in the college, he was just a better athlete than anyone. When you get to the NFL, you can't just rely, of course, on that athleticism. You can't just rely on what you've been able to do to get by. You have to break down and work hard. And I think, honestly, DJ Humphreys, he's learned that. Bobby Massey, another Ole Miss player, he's learned that. I think with Robert, at least, is just from some of the interviews and questions is, is that the big thing I think it comes down to is how big is his want you're going to be. And I, I think that really like it, you can't question the guy's work ethic in that sense. Cause he's definitely a guy who we've seen work hard, especially this year from where he was a year ago. But you have to ask like, how hard do you want to work? Because are you willing to make those sacrifices to make use of your talent where it's not just going to be every year, just wondering, Hey, you know, like, are you just going to be that guy or, and he's, to be in his credit, he's never had to be able to rely on that for years. He's a young guy. He was 21 when he was drafted. Uh, he's going to be, I think it's only 23 uh, in the middle of next year. And I think that that's one thing you could look at is it does take some guys perhaps a little bit to mature, to be able to grow up and get older. Then there are special players like Buda Baker who come out and are just immediately great right from the moment you step on the field, David Johnson, same way. So I think that's kind of the biggest criticism you could say, at least of the guy is, you know, he may be the super talented guy who never lives up to that high billing that he has. And at this point, that's kind of who he is. He's a, a huge ball of potential. And I do think that he's going to have to basically work hard now. It might be that, 
he's going to have to learn not just to play through the injuries he suffered, but I think it is going to be ultimately, this is the critical off season for him. Uh, usually I always give it a three-year curve for looking at guys. You look at Kevin Minter, for example, first year you're talking about him as being uh, a guy who just didn't get on the field. Second year, you're talking about him being a bust. And then the year three, he stepped up and became kind of the captain of the defense, the play caller. And he worked himself out a nice little contract. Sure. He's not been able to live up to that contract with the Bengals, but that's kind of the development that you're looking for. And I do think that is that critical year three, where we saw from this year, DJ Humphreys playing at a talent that was almost kind of on the edge of a pro bowl level in some cases, even with a bunch of great other tackles had that injury that took place too. Maybe that's going to be the story of his career, but I think Kandichi really has just a whole lot to kind of live up to this year. And that's going to be where we have going forward because either he will, or he won't. And that's going to be up to the Cardinals. They'll have to learn from this thing with Kime and they'll have to see it moving forward. Let's go ahead and at least talk a little bit about just with, um, uh, just was wrapping up real quick by taking a look at the Giants game upcoming. Um, let's give out a little bit of a preview of how we feel about that game. Drew Stanton's back. The defense is playing great. They're at home. Do you think this is a game that the Cardinals are going to win, or are we going to see an Eagles game that, uh, excuse me, a Giants team that went in against the Eagles and played them very, very well against a good defense? This is going to be an, a game that Eli Manning, they've, they've never lost a game in University of Phoenix Stadium. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, what are your thoughts, at least, on the Giants game? And what is kind of a prediction that we'll have as we wrap up for today? I think the Giants are going to put up points, and I think the Cardinals are going to struggle to put up points because the Cardinals haven't scored an offensive touchdown since the Rams game in the second quarter. That's two and a half games ago. Whereas the Giants played uh, a Super Bowl contender in the Eagles last week and put up 30-plus points. Eli Manning's back. Uh, they're running the ball more effectively now. Evan Ingram has 710 receiving yards and six touchdowns on the year. He's become a big-time player. Um, the Cardinals are somehow favored in this game by three and a half points. I think this is more of a pick uh, I think both defenses are going to play relatively well, uh, but at the same time, the Cardinals are just so limited offensively. You look at what they trotted out last week, the roster that they have outside of Fitz, um, looks like something that you would see in a fourth preseason game. And I'm counting the offensive line, the skilled players, the quarterback, everything. So I'm not surprised that they're not scoring points. It's not like, you know, you got David Johnson, Adrian Peterson, Carson Palmer, Fitzgerald, John Brown, everybody's humming along. This is a unit right now that is grossly lacking talent. And obviously, hopefully it'll be uh, remedied and rectified this offseason. It should be an offensive offseason for the Cardinals, but at the end of the day, I don't think they're going to be able to score enough points to hang with the Giants, um, even with the Giants, you know, limited mobility and Eli Manning. I think the Cardinals end up losing this game, potentially Bruce Arian and Larry Fitzgerald's last home game, uh, something to the effect of 24-17. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's kind of – I think we're a little similar in the fact that when you look at the Giants, they do seem resurgent. This isn't a game where if they win, I believe, with the uh, the current draft order, they win this game. If the Colts lose, you might see a bit of a flip there. That would be really interesting to see if the Colts, who basically have not just one but maybe two solid quarterbacks on their roster, to see if they would look at trading one of those quarterbacks. Um, that's another thing we didn't touch on was that the Cardinals did have interest in Jacoby Brissett a few, uh, a few years ago, but that's kind of getting into a whole other thing. There's so many possibilities. I think that this is a case where the Cardinals defense has been playing incredibly strong. I think that um, I will at least say that the Eagles defense after losing Carson Wentz in the first game out with Vic Foles, even though the Eagles still pulled away uh, and the Giants, I think that there was a little bit less as far as for whether it was motivation or maybe a little bit more hurt. I think that the Giants are not necessarily going to struggle but I think that it's going to be an area where it's going to be a much closer game. And part of the reason why is because um, Drew Stanton actually can extend plays and actually throws for touchdowns. And if Blaine Gabbard had hit maybe not just one, but two passes in the last two games for the Cardinals, uh, you'd be looking at a much, much bigger gap as far as for the score. I mean, even if he hits one of those touchdowns in the four, almost five trips into the red zone, at least past the 30 yard line, you're talking about a, the Cardinals, beating the Redskins in an early game on the road. I think that with Drew Stanton back, I do think you'll see two touchdowns. It might be that both go to Fitzgerald. And I think really it'll just depend on the defense and how, if the pass rush is able to get to Eli Manning, because we know with this Cardinal state, um, Drew Stanton, he'll probably run around a bit. At least he'll be able to extend some of the plays. I have the Cardinals winning this game with a field goal at the end. I think that it is really close. Um, I think that because of their at home, because the defense has been stronger, I think that the Cardinals will pull it out in the end. 
it'll be really interesting to see though just if Drew Stanton is he able to make it through this game does he have uh, any those knee problems that he's been having still linger so that I think will be the big case to see it's, it's going to come down to which defense is able to hit the other quarterback more and ultimately if the Cardinals offensive line can't protect Stanton he's having to run around take stats and and sacks and their defensive line is still legit versus if the Cardinals are able to hold up kind of in that coverage on the back end if Chandler Jones is able to go off against Eric Flowers who is just a terrible terrible left tackle then that you might end up start seeing um if there's it just meant up being which quarterback gets sacked the last is kind of what it's going to come down to so I have the Cardinals at least winning with a field goal um 24 20, uh, I think it's 24 uh 20 to 17 I think was the final score I'd pick where they win with a field goal it's a low scoring game uh, I think that the home field advantage is kind of what I picked for. I could easily see it going the other way for the Giants, but ultimately it comes down to it. This team is, this is going to be a very motivated team, especially if Bruce Arians kind of starts to communicate that this is going to be his last home game uh, to some of the teams. And I, I don't think he's totally decided yet, but that's at least what it's going to come down to. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, let's see, before we head out, uh, we'll at least preview a little bit. We're probably going to take on at least a little bit of a Christmas, um, uh, at least a little bit of a, a Christmas break at least. So it might be back later in that week, but we're going to start really digging into some of these quarterbacks with uh, the Mayfields versus Jackson, the Rose and Darnold. And we'll start to see a lot more of the bowl season play out too. What impact that has uh, Josh Allen, I know is playing this weekend and he's been tied to the Cardinals a lot because of that arm. Uh, but John, uh, real quick before we head out, uh, let them know at least where you are on Twitter and just give kind of if you got like a maybe not a hot take, but let's kind of end this with like a kind of a declaration that we can at least look back on some of this. Where are we at before draft season begins as far as where we're standing here? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Johnny's Football, all one word. And um, my hot take is that Lamar Jackson will be the most productive quarterback out of this draft class because I think he's going to have the biggest chip on his shoulder. He's not entitled like an RG3. When you've got people coming to you after what you've done at the collegiate level, saying that you need to transition and play wide receiver for no other reason than you're, than you're typecasted because of your physical attributes, he is going to come into this league assuming he gets drafted to a franchise with some stability, and he is going to put on an absolute show. He is going to have a better overall rookie season than Deshaun Watson would have had. And I pray that the Cardinals are the team fortunate enough to land him in the first or the early part of the, of the second round. That's my hot take. And that's a, that's a great one considering right now we're here in like day two, day three, people are working out wide receiver. I, I don't, I'm not buying any of that. There's been so many of those takes that have floated around. Those get pushed up. I do think that it's going to be uh, like each year, the combine seems to kind of determine a lot of where these guys end up going. Last year, Deshaun Watson was being talked around as a second round pick. He goes top 12. I think that that's going to be the case. So I'm not with you there on Lamar. Uh, I um, could be found on Twitter at Blake Murphy seven. And for my hot take, uh, I think that what you're going to see this season is a, a return to 2000. I think you're going to see Bruce Arians is going to leave. I think the Cardinals will bring in a young offensively minded head coach who's going to kind of have a little bit more spread attributes. I think Carson Palmer is going to be moved on from, I think they'll find it. And I think what will happen is you'll see a veteran who'll be brought back in to reunite with Larry Fitzgerald and both of maybe their last years is Josh McCown as my sleeper pick, at least for the Cardinals coming back to Arizona. No. <laughs> I'm just saying that's the hot take that'll happen. But I think what it is, he'll be that guy who's going to mentor whoever the young quarterback is. And I don't think that he's going to start. I think you're going to see a quarterback, whoever that rookie that they'll draft, I think that they're going to get him. And I think that's going to be your week one starter. So that's going to be interesting to see. But that's kind of what I'll have right now is I could see that happening if they get the right coach. If they stick with Bruce Arians, I, I don't see it at all, though. All right. And that's going to be kind of it now. Uh, thank you guys for joining us again. We'll see and talk to you uh, next time on the Bird Gang Blicks. Good to have you. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event, even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. 
That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California professional firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.